What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Throughline Podcast. Jay Larson here, recording in Baltimore. I'm at Magoobie's, or have been this weekend, and I uh, wanted to get this out there. But uh, excited for this week's podcast, you guys. This music is by my boy Rich Trap. Uh, he makes some amazing beats, and uh, he made this one for the podcast this week. So excited to have him on, and excited to be here with you guys. Uh, what is it? Unfortunately, the Super Bowl uh, hasn't happened yet, but this is coming out post-Super Bowl. We'll see. It's my birthday on the Super Bowl, which is always cool, and my team is playing, which is always cool. But I always like just watching a great game. If it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be interesting. Uh, well, for you guys right now, you're like, yeah, it was interesting, idiot. We watched it. I get it. Okay, I get it. I know where I stand. Um, I wanted to say about last week's episode, Tim Dillon. So many of you guys reached out how much you love Tim Dillon. I love Tim Dillon too. Um, and I didn't mention he's got a great podcast called Tim Dillon is Going to Hell. So go give that a listen if you haven't yet. And uh, you can find him at Tim Dillon Comedy if you want to look up tour dates. And I think he's Tim J. Dillon on uh, social. So. I love him. He's crazy. I mean, he's absolutely absolutely crazy, but he's hilarious and he's a sweet, sweet guy. One of the things I love about comedy and podcasting and people and just people in general is if you have a social profile or a way for people to see you, uh, either it's podcasting or stand up or whatever. You know, we're all playing a persona. You know, especially like a guy like Tim, and you might. You know, might be like, wow, this guy's crazy. He is, but he's also like the sweetest, nicest guy in the world. So I'm, I'm glad so many of you guys enjoyed it. And uh, he's also just a great storyteller, which I loved about Tim. And he was able to give that amazing <laughs> juror story, um, which is why I'm going to tie through to this week's guest. But before I do that, I uh, want to talk about Huckberry.com. As you know, one of my favorites, they've been doing a lot for me and for the podcast, giving you guys great opportunities over there. I just got some new boots from them. Huckberry does, uh, they did these boots with Danners, and I went on the site before I started recording this. I'm like, oh, where are those boots? I don't know if they already sold out, but if you need boots, especially with the winter that's going on, go over to Huckberry.com and at checkout, use the code ThruLine, T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E, 15% off first time, and get yourself some boots. They also got amazing uh, sheets. I love sheets. I don't know what it is. I just like love getting into, I'm in a hotel right now. And like every time I get to a hotel, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to sleep with hotel sheets. You know, this isn't the greatest hotel I'm in. No offense to the club, but there's been better sheets. And I just love good sheets. And as I'm sure you do too. So they have great sheets over there. That's going to be one of my next purchases over there. And uh, I'll tell you, if I hadn't been getting stuff from Huckberry, I wouldn't be dialed in for this weekend. I get the best socks I've ever owned. I have these jogging pants that are insulated that they have over there on Huckberry. And I just use them to like go down to the gym and, and just walk around the house. But Huckberry has got so many great stuff for guys and gals. By the way, I've never said gals in my life until like the last year. And I'm like, geez, what, what am I going to say in five more years? You know what I mean? I don't, I wish I'm not there. So I can't find something creative to say like, oh, sweet berry. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say. 
Um, but either way, the Huckberry.com through line T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E at checkout. Continue to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Share the podcast with friends if you're talking to friends and they're like, what have you, uh, you been listening to? What have you been watching? Isn't that the conversation that's all you have now? Hey, what are you, are you watching anything good on Netflix? And you're like, yeah, have you seen... Uh, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? And they're like, yeah, I saw Breaking Bad like five years ago. Well, then you'd like Ozark. And they're like, yeah, I just watched Ozark. We watched it in two days. And you're like, all right. And they're like, have you seen uh, Narcos? And you're like, yeah, I watched Narcos. And then you go through all your shows and you just kind of stare at each other. So what you could say is like, have you checked out the Throughline podcast? And you see how already I'm upbeat? How you're already upbeat? You check out the Throughline podcast? You're going to dig it, dude. You're going to dig it, dude. I love guys that say, dude, dude. You're going to dig it, dude. You're going to dig it, dude. Um, you know, tell your friends, go give it a five-star review, share it on social media, hit me up, let me know what you think. If you have any suggestions, I know some of you guys have been hitting me up about uh, some guests, I'm going to look into it, uh, Holiday Bakery Productions at Gmail, that's my personal email, and if you have any cool suggestions or people you like, let me know. Um, I always appreciate hearing from you, you can also go to my fan page on Facebook, uh, Jay Larson Comedy, I believe it's Comedian Jay Larson, they switch it up to try and trick you. Um, but you can always comment or message me over there. I will tell you this. A lot of people like, well, you guys will message me on the fan page and then we'll go back and forth. And then I see a friend request on my personal. Don't take it personal if I don't respond. I use that because I post stuff. I post stuff about my kids and talk about them. But over there, I do stuff that's a little more personal for friends and family, like people I grew up with and stuff. And it's a private page. So don't take it personal. I, I just I, I'll, I'll respond and interact on the fan page. But I just like to keep some stuff, you know, <sighs> some people are going to take this personally. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. So I can't. No, you, you can't. You know what I mean? That's just no, you can't. It's going to be some stuff in my life I keep personal. Um, not much, guys. Not much. Uh, what else is going on? I think that's about it as far as uh, news for the podcasts. Always on Instagram, J Larson Comedy, Twitter, J Larson Comedy. I I have no interest in Twitter. I very rarely go over there. I just post from Instagram to Twitter. Um, so check those things out. If you're not uh, watching corporate on Comedy Central, it's Wednesday nights, I believe. Wednesday or Tuesday nights at ten thirty. I'm in this season. It's a great show. It's it's so awesome. I love it. And I'm also have a little consulting credit on Crashing, which is a very funny show as well on Comedy Central. These are all comedians. Uh, Jake Weissman and Matt Ingerbretson, they started with Pat Bishop, uh, Corporate, which is in the second season, and Pete Holmes started crashing in its third season. Um, so I was very fortunate to be on Corporate and very fortunate to be in the writer's room for a short time for crashing. And they're all super talented guys on both on both shows. So if you're looking for new shows, those are two to definitely, definitely check out. Um, so much great comedy out there right now. I'm not bragging, but I'm going to be on Curb Your Enthusiasm this season. What? Shut your mouth, Larson. You shut your mouth and listen to this. What? 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 Um, so I'm going to shoot that soon. I'll, I'll report back about what it's like to work with Larry David, but I'm really looking forward to it. There's so many... So many different genres and places for comedy right now. Corporate is this dry, dark comedy on... Co Comedy Central crashing is like an upbeat fun. If you know Pete Holmes comedy, you can't even like you can't sit in a room with Pete Holmes for more than a minute and not laugh because he's going to be some say something silly. Um, and this week's guest is uh, 
is a whole different brand of comedy, almost like a news reporting brand. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to This American Life, but this week's guest is Ira Glass, who's the host of This American Life, which has been on the air, I believe, for over 19 years. I, what, Jay, how about you do your research and find out? Oh, okay, guys. That is a good idea. I don't think you really need to know. But um, I was fortunate enough to be on that show, I don't know, three years ago now. And it's just, it's just like, there are like certain, there's certain things in comedy that you put on like as a checklist. And this American life for me was, was huge. You know what I mean? Uh, the first episode aired in 95. Wow. So 24 years the show's been on 23, 23 and change. Um, 24 and whatever guys you don't care um that was such a checklist for me is this american life it reminded me so much of like what my grandfather would listen to and iris such an interesting smart guy and when i reached out to have him on he said yeah i was so stoked so i think you're gonna enjoy it nobody has seen or heard more stories or curated more stories than ira glass it's such a great show i hope you enjoy it as much as i did sitting down with him uh so you can always go listen to This American Life. Go check out Ira on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Let him know you heard him on the through line and how much you enjoyed him. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening, and uh, I'm excited to hear what you think about this week on the through line with Ira Glass. I'm going to this, through this whole thing with food right now where, where I'm going to a nutritionist. Have you ever done this? Um, no, no, but I... I, uh, I've definitely started eating healthier. Are you trying to find the things that your body doesn't like vibe with? <laughs> I honestly, it wasn't even that sophisticated. It really was just like, I'm going to be 60 in a couple of months. And I realized at some point, like I eat like a child who's been given a credit card. And it's <laughs> like, I should talk to an adult who knows. Cause I have like, you know, like I eat basically okay, but really like, it's just ideas I've made up in my head about what would be healthy to eat, but I don't actually know. Yeah. And I thought like, well, I could just go to a professional doctor who will tell me. And then, and then I went to this doctor. And I think maybe I chose wrong. Because he basically said, okay, so like first two weeks, what we're going to do is like, you're not, you just basically, you're not going to eat like meat or kind of anything, but like vegetables and these like protein bars and protein shakes. Yeah. And I, and, and honestly, I thought like, maybe he's a quack, but I also thought like, well, this will be an interesting experiment. And then, so I did that for two weeks and they added in like, uh, meat. Yeah. And then, and then there was another two weeks and he added in starch. And, and then my problem is like, but is, slowly is like, out of them in, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then he's just like, well, does your body feel differently? And then I, what I've learned is like, I, am, I, I always feel fine. Like, like I'm the, like the worst. Like I felt fine before. I feel fine. Like I had no problems. And then, and then I'm not organized enough. Or I don't, I don't know. Like, or I, or I just don't care enough maybe but to hold, like keep stocked on the, on the protein bars and like to have a piece of fruit in my office, like when I need it in the afternoon. Oh, you got so basically then I just like, but I'm also in a, like a high, like, like I don't want to, I want to get an A. So I don't want to like not do everything he said. You're and so your... then I just don't eat. Then I just sort of like, <laughs> then it's just like, I, then I'll go for like seven hours and I just won't eat anything. Cause I didn't have time to like pick up the stupid, like. Anyway, so like I don't know what I I I just I'm not a good subject for this kind of thing. But then, so also like right now I'm just feel like I, I'm just like um, I'm hungry. You're you're low. You're first of all, he might not be the quack. You might be the quack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
I've been eating way healthier. I do a protein shake, then I snack on almonds and fruit, and then at night I eat whatever I want. Oh, that's it? Yeah, but I'm 42, and I'm I'm just much more overweight. You look fantastic. You're almost 60 years old. I hope I look as good as you do at 60. But that's a nice thing for an interviewer to say at the beginning of an interview. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, not well, it wasn't like I was going to not say good things. What interviewer yeah, starts right. with, hey, man, what happened? <laughs> you look terrible. You warm up to that. You want good interview technique. Start, start with, like, the really nice stuff and then, like, warm up to the, like, and by the way. Yeah, get them to open up. And then you, you bring down the hammer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was so excited that you said yes to do this because I wanted to talk to you about a number of things. Um, but storytelling, obviously, you know, I was on your show because of a story that I told. And you're one of my very favorites. That, that story is like a perfect. It is a perfect gem. I appreciate that. That was, yeah. you know, that was lightning in a bottle. That was kind of, you know, I feel like there's hmm. so many different kinds of stories. And that's one that happened because I just went into it ready to go. It just yeah. randomly came to me, whereas other people write stories, some improvise them, then they turn into one. I like to take stories that happen and then expand on them and make them fit, um, you know, what my comedy is. But mm -hmm. I wanted to sit with you because, you know, this American life has just been put into like the fabric of America. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather would. You don't think so? No, you, you're responding to the face I'm making. No, I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, like we I feel like we're doing a perfectly nice job for people. I don't feel like we're like, um, I don't know. We're not like American Idol or I don't know. Like, like I feel like, like, yeah, for a small for a small certain part of America, I guess that that's true. Yes, sure. for sure. But, yeah. you know, yeah. yours, your show also. I mean, this I mean, for American Idol, you just turn on and you watch and you listen your show. Mm -hmm. You have to turn on, listen, not see anything. And, you know get involved yeah. you know yeah 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 that's true um so i was like there's a couple of things that i wanted to ask you about you did student theater as a kid yeah yeah high school and and college too i was in an improv troupe in in college oh really yeah yeah and one of the guys in our troupe went on to saturday night live get out was this at brown no this i was at northwestern for two northwestern years. And, okay and, and, and there's and there's a improv troupe that's been going now for like 30 years or 40 years called Meow. And somehow <laughs> I made it in, but I wasn't very good. And I never trained in improv. Like, like I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And, and I think I was probably the worst one on the team. Yeah. And um, but there was a guy named Gary Kroger who, who went on to like one of those seasons of SNL that people don't remember very well. Yeah. Uh, who was a super funny guy. And then he went on to open the supermarket, which really exploded him. <laughs> I mean, he was like, I'm a very talented comedian, but I am so, yeah, exactly. He had a gift. Like, he was multi-talented. Yeah, he just knew where to play cereals. That's all that was. <laughs> he, um, and there's so much more money, really. I mean, as, as lucrative as, as a comedy career is, like the grocery business. I mean, hey, people got to eat. You know, that's that's the bottom line. <laughs> that's so true. My father-in-law was in grocery, the grocery business, and it's like he gets excited to go to grocery stores. Like when there's a new one, he's like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta check this out, Jay." He gets very excited about it. Oh my god! I, can I say like I, I, I kind of love that. Like I would love to go with him and see it through his eyes, like record him, and ha I, I want to see what he sees. I always tell him when you go, like if he'll go out to like when he comes out to visit, if he goes to the grocery shop. I always tell my wife, I'm like, I'm gonna call over there and have him paged. You know what I mean? I just think it'd be hilarious. He'd be like, "Whoa, whoa what's going on? Well, why, why are they calling?" And then to know it's just me. Um, no, you would. I read some stuff. Obviously, everyone goes to Wikipedia. Is that? Do you hate yeah. Wikipedia? Or do you love Wikipedia? 
Um, I find Wikipedia to be surprisingly useful. I don't know what's on my own page because I never ever, like, while I will like check Twitter to see what people are saying about the radio show sort of compulsively on a weekend if I think we did a good show. I, like, I don't think I've, I mean, I'm sure I've looked it up my Wikipedia, my own Wikipedia entry, but like long ago, I like, haven't given any thought. Yeah. Well, I found that we have something in common. We were both in Fiddler on the Roof. Really? I played the rabbi. Oh, that's a good part. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 I was in college. No, you mm -hmm. go ahead. You go ahead. No, no. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was in college and I told my friends, like, I knew I wanted to get into the entertainment business. I just didn't know how. And so I just was like, now nah, I'm going to sign up for this musical. And I was like on the baseball team in college. And my friends were like, wait, you're doing what? And like all the guys on the baseball team came to Fiddler on the Roof, which they never would have. And I loved wow. it. It was so much fun, like just transforming into somebody else. And um, you had yeah. said on that Wikipedia page that like musicals and theater like really inspired your your way of like approaching journalism. How, how do you, yes, how do you, how do you see that? So. Well, it, this is one of these things that I only realized kind of in retrospect, but but like all through my 20s. When I was working at NPR on the daily news shows, Morning Edition and All Things Considered, like I kept trying to, I, I just, I just kept trying to push the stories to have, like at the time I would have said just to like have more feeling and to have like funny moments and, 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 uh, hold on for a second, the phone, okay, yeah, my, my phone's good, to have like funny moments and, um, I don't know where there'd be characters and there'd be a plot and, and it would just have a feeling. And I, and I finally, after experimenting, came to this structure where, where I was doing stories for the news shows where they were built around characters and they would start off funny and then things would happen and then they would it, it would become clear that they're about kind of a bigger something than themselves. Yeah. And um and then they'd get kind of sad. There'd be a moment of like kind of like sadness towards the end. And 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 when I finally got that, I was like, oh, I've got it. Like this feels right to me. And then in retrospect, I realized like, oh, that's the structure of a Broadway musical. Like yeah. that's how, that's that's a structure of Fiddler on the Roof. Start, like Fiddler on the Roof starts off as kind of a comedy. He's trying to marry off his kids, and by the end, they're being kicked out of Russia, and like then they're home. They're never going to go back. And he's estranged from one of his daughters, and it's like so big and sad and about big ideas. And I was like. And I only realized in retrospect, like all those musicals that my mom took me to as a kid that I loved so much, like that's what I, that's what I was trying to make in journalism without even realizing that that's what I was making. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? It's exactly what you just said about a, a good journalist. You start with something nice, compliment them, get them to open up. And, you know, it's the, <laughs> it's the same in stand up. If you can approach the audience with jokes that are fun and you get them to like understand your imagination if you're doing 40 minutes, the first 10, if you make it palatable and then you slowly stretch their brains to what how you oh. see everything, then you get them to get on board for like anything that you want to talk about, you know? Yeah, any dark thing. Yeah, any yeah, yeah you always want to go dark. Anything that like or anything with like real feeling. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's the I mean, well that I mean that's something I want to ask you in a little bit, but I was going to say to you, so my mom worked at Boston Ballet when I was a kid. That's where she worked. So we were a single mom, four kids. When she had to go in, we had to go in. So I sat backstage for the ballet all the time, sitting in the wings, watching ballerinas, ballet wow. dancers. So I never knew this until I read that, <clears throat> what you said about how musicals influence your form of journalism, because my form of storytelling, it 
when I see stories or I'm having interactions with people or I'm writing, I hear music, I see big moments happen. And that's like, that's what happens in the ballet. Music drives it. There's no, there's no words. And it's like, uh, I never realized that till I read that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, I think how I've always seen everything. Like even when I'm writing scripts, I'm like, oh, I, I hear sounds, I see shots, I see it all happen. And I feel like just being on stage at the Wang Center, well, you know, whether it's Giselle or the Nutcracker or whatever is happening, it, it was a big influence on me. Yeah, because I, I definitely see that. Because even though there's no words, it's like it, there's forward motion. Like, like, like the, it's it's driving from like point to point, and, and this 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 visual moment to that visual moment, and and it really does have to like have a big climax, and then has to come back down again. Yes, all in such a pure way. But when you were a kid, did you did it seem like glamorous and exciting when they would do the ballet? No, I mean, I always knew it was a big deal because you. I would walk through the theater beforehand. Have you ever been to the Wang Center? I don't know. I don't know I if it's called the Wang anymore. It's probably called the uh, Sun-Kissed Orange Juice Center. But yeah. uh, it was just like this beautiful building and like the, the, the lobby was four stories of marble they used for the living room wow. in uh, Witches of Eastwick. And it, was, it just was grand. Wow. And wow. I never, ballet interests me because obviously I like stories and I like seeing, you know, it's interesting. I didn't even notice this till we just said it, but like, you know, with this American life, you're hearing everything in, in your ears. You're not seeing anything. So it takes more of your brain to process or pay attention. And then you see images on your own. And in ballet, there are no words. So you're seeing movement and your brain has to interpret that into feelings and and yeah. ideas, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I think that's true. It's interesting. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I worked with a dance company. Oh, really? Which one? I, it was called the not a big famousy one, but uh, but a wonderful one called the Monica Bill Barnes Dance Company. And at the time that I was working with them, it was just two dancers, and um, you know, and they would pull pull other dancers as needed. But really, it was just like two of them. And the reason why I did it was because I saw one of their shows, and I was like, the sensibility of this, like they were really funny. And but they were very like storytelling and they were both really good actors, if that makes sense. They, yeah. they, they would both become people like they had they had they have a show that they that they've done where like they both played these like sort of braggadocious men uh -huh. who are like super funny and each one a very distinct personality. And it's just like but it's all expressed through like movement and dance. And and uh, I remember seeing them. I was like, the feeling I get from this is exactly the feeling that that I hope people get when they listen to the radio show, but they don't use words. And I was like, and I like it was, I really was like completely intrigued of like, how are you doing this without ever speaking? And then I suggested like, maybe we should collaborate on a thing. And we ended up creating a show where I would tell stories and they would dance. And sometimes it would be separate. Sometimes it would be together. A couple of times I dance with them. Wow. And, um, yeah, we ended up touring it for for years. Like like once or twice a month, we would take it out and go on the road on the weekend and go go to places and 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 uh, and and just and and it really made me appreciate um, the storiness quality of of movement. You know, so when you just said that right there, I feel like so much of like being an artist or being in the world of art, whether it be comedy, acting, dance, music, you either do it because you love it and you can't. It, at some point, you have to make a living from it. And by you saying that you were going out doing that, we, you got into working for NPR at a really young age, and clearly you mm -hmm. had... 19. 19. I mean, and did, were you in high school, you doing musical theater. So when did you know at what age that there was something that was going to take you towards 
entertainment or, you know, story or film, TV, whatever it be? I wasn't that well-directed of a child or as young adult that there was ever like a decision that was bigger than like, oh, I like this. I'm just going to keep doing this. Like it wasn't like, and, and it's funny because only recently, I was telling somebody this the other day, only recently did I realize, like I'm a journalist, you know what I mean? Like, like my yeah. job is like, you know, I go out, I interview people, they say stuff, we fact check it, I choose quotes, I put them in an order and I write around it. Like I'm, it's the most traditional kind of, you know, like it's a journal, like the tasks that I do during the day are not like what what uh, like a comedian does or what J.J. Abrams does, you know what I mean? Like it's, sure. what I do is what a reporter does. That's my actual job. And, um, and, uh, but but as a kid, I had no interest in journalism at all. What I was interested in was like comedy and and uh, and and musicals. And then I started doing journalism and sort of turned it into a form of the thing that I had done as a kid. Totally. And the only thing that was pulling me forward was just this feeling of, like like at each stage, even in my early years at NPR, I really just felt like this is kind of fun. And it felt like I was able to like figure out the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. So so in my twenties, like. All through my 20s, my parents were very much like, don't do this, go to medical school. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, and, and, and it really, you know, yeah, my parents stopped saying that to me until I was 36. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah. I remember the day that my mom said, like, okay, you, you win. And it was after the first time I was on television. And I was 36 and we, and, and, no, no, I wasn't. I was 41. What am I saying? 36. I was 41 years old when she finally said like, you win, you don't have to go to medical school. I'm not going to say this to you anymore. Wow. And it was because for the fifth anniversary of the radio show, um, we got a publicist, we hired a publicist and I got onto television for the first time. I got onto, um, David Letterman. Oh. And so I was on Letterman. Yeah. I had never been on TV. And then my mom was like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, like, How was that? <laughs> How was that being on Letterman? Um, really scary, but he was so, he knew the radio show. Like they explained to me backstage, like you're not famous enough for the show, but he, he likes you. So, so <laughs> that's why you're here. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, I think he understood like, you're not a, you're not a professional comedian. You're not an entertainer. So like, he just made sure like to keep it going. And then I, because I'm a crazy person, I did a study of how to be on Letterman. I was like, I was like, how many stories do you tell? How long is each story? And so I just basically like, did that had a whole list of stories that were the right length, that were the right kind of thing. Which who who kills on here and who doesn't? How to make a story work? Because I realized like the people who did the very best are like the very best person when I was watching it who did it was Nathan Lane, and really every story was structured to end in a big joke. There'd be little jokes, little jokes, and then he totally tags out with a big joke at the end, and it's completely planned. And he's such a good performer, you don't even think like he's running a bit until the yeah. end, and you realize, oh, of course. And then um. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I chose a couple stories. And in the pre-interview, I pitched like seven stories. And they're like, let's do these two. And don't tell this part, but tell this part. And then, uh, yeah. And I, the main memory I have is like, I had, I had never, you know, like you're never around somebody like you've seen on TV, right? <laughs> like, right? Yeah. like normally. And and I remember sitting there on his show, and I didn't realize like how close you are. Like you're so physically close. Like yeah. you really are. It's like chairs that are really like right next to each other. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe he's this close. And it looks just like David Letterman. And all I could think the entire time is like, I could just reach out and I could like touch him. But I knew <laughs> like, don't touch David Letterman. Oh, I wish you had. <laughs> I was like, that's not going to be, that's not, like, that's going to be so weird. Yeah. I mean, like don't reach over and touch. But it was so hard not to be like, you're you're a human man. Like, look at you. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're a man. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's so funny because I have like a list. I was never, 
I never knew that this was something I was going to do with my life. I was always interested in certain things, but I was very specific about who I liked and what I liked. It wasn't like yeah. an overall entertainment theme. Like as a kid, Johnny Carson was like the ultimate for me. I would be for me too. 11. I would sneak downstairs. Everyone would be asleep in the house and I'd hide behind a chair while my mother watched Carson and I would watch Carson. I totally, I would sneak up to the top of the stairs and my parents would be in the, in our sub basement and I would watch them watch Carson. Yeah. The best. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's really hard to capture people who weren't a lot, a lot of kids then to understand like how central that was and, and how authoritative he was. Yeah. But if you go back and you watch Carson now, it's still relevant. Like his jokes and his sense of humor really? is still pushing the envelope. Yeah. He was the best. But I I remember when when Paul Newman died, my wife texted me that Paul Newman died. Mm. And I I called her immediately. I go, "Don't you ever call me when an idol of mine I mean, don't text me when an idol dies. You call me. You can't text me that yeah. Paul Newman died." But there yeah. there were like a list of things that I always wanted to do once I got into this business. One was to meet Paul Newman and work with Paul Newman. That's gone. Letterman was another one. I always I never really <clears throat> Did you get on? No. I never did. I'm sorry. It's okay. I had many, many showcases with his booker who loved me. And I think there was just something else going on there. But um, I tried. um, But like Leno was never a goal for me. Like I just, I I always respected him. And he was from two towns over from me. But Letterman Mm -hmm. just resonated with me. The way he just, he was snarky. He was so smart. Every way he would, I just loved everything about him, and uh, yeah. that was like, and the fact that there's like a layer of self hate that like that's that's not put on that is so real. Yes, <laughs> like even even now that he's not in the job, like oh that really wasn't an act. Like it, the really is, it's real. Yeah, like it just like it just it, I don't know. Like I feel like oh that's a kind of person that I understand and and can and love. You know. Yeah, for sure. And so I th- I think that's so cool that you got to be on with him. What an amazing. Uh, He's just the best. That's like an icon. Uh, I feel bad saying it because I, I got the present that you should have gotten. Can I ask you, like, when did you, you're asking me, like, when did I know I was going to do this? How old were you when you knew you were going to do what you do? Uh, well, I moved to Los Angeles. I knew senior in college I would move to L.A. to write. I wanted to write and act. And then um, then I moved seven months after college graduation with 3200 bucks to LA and then after about a year and a half a lot of people were telling me that I was really funny and just assumed I was a stand up and I was like well I guess I should try this so I wow. started I started stand up I still don't think it's I still don't think it's the core of who I am yet you know what I mean I still think writing might be this the place that like I'm me- meant yeah. to be but uh I love it and it's really fun you know so yeah. I just kind of yeah. like went with it and just kind of like dove into it head first and didn't know anything about it. Like I didn't know anything about stand up when I started. I'd only seen it live ever in my life twice before I did it. And that was Bill Cosby when I was 10 and Chris Rock when I was 21. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I jumped into it just knowing nothing. I didn't know anything about a structure of a joke. I didn't know any, and I still don't. I still don't know. Like, I just go with what I think is funny and no, ho- I, hope it works. No, I know. I feel, I feel like there's like a real free form <clears throat> to feeling to when you're up there that I definitely, yeah, that seems a strength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's why there's like a certain element of like when you say, see, Nathan Lane had those things perfected. I, I wonder, my question would be, did he prepare those or is that just innate in him, that structure? You know what I mean? Uh, I, that's possible. But then this person <laughs> working at a level of talent that's so upsetting. 
It's like, really? You didn't have to prepare on that? It's just like when you come out with it. I feel like it's entirely possible. Yeah. Or, like, or, he just know, or he knows the punchline he's going to, and then he just knows, well, I'll just start here and I'll end there. And like, I don't know. Like, yeah. It's funny because when I like I'm when I'm like joking with friends, I was just I wrote this down yesterday. I'm never thinking about the next joke. I'm thinking about the joke after that next joke. So I know that whatever I say next is setting them up so that they're going to respond so that I can hit with the other joke. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're, oh, you're running a much more sophisticated game than I ever had. That's all that I wow. can do, Ira. I don't have much else to go on here. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. So being that like you're a storyteller, but at the same time you're curating stories. You know, do you, yeah. do you think that? I mean, you're getting yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And how how do you how do you feel about that? Like seeking people's stories or getting their stories and then giving them a platform. And then you being the voice that kind of like narrates you through all these different stories. You mean when it comes to the people who we're reporting on or do you, or do you mean like when we'll have like, uh, you know, somebody, somebody talented like you, like come on the show and tell a story. I just feel like there's a certain unselfishness in what you're doing. You're like giving people an opportunity for their stories to exist. But at the same time, it takes a certain, uh, I don't know, knowledge or viewpoint to see how it fits with other stories and why you would put them all together. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, like, like, like I do really like curating things. I mean, I should say like when we're making the radio show, it's like a whole team of us figuring that out. Of and, course. And, and, and like, and we'll go through many more stories than end up on the air to figure, to figure out an episode of the show. Mm -hmm. Like, like, and, and some weeks, like last week's show was like a, like I think the like the most stories we've ever considered for a show in a really long time where like the theme changed because we couldn't get enough stories for the first version of the show and and uh we must have gone through like 20 story ideas to end up with three stories or four stories and one of the stories we we realized the day before the show was supposed to air that we were four minutes short and everything else we had worked up was like, couldn't be less than like 10 or 12 minutes. So like, what do we do? And then, so then we produced a story the day of the show. Like Ben did an interview at 10, 15 in the morning and wrote it by one and we did an edit and a second edit and he recorded at four and we put it on the air at, on the public radio satellite at eight. And uh, and how much do you love that? The show. I love that a lot. I mean, that's got to really like, it's like being yeah, in a newspaper, I, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know, I was in daily news for, for 17 years so yeah. like or not quite 17 years and like and yeah and i really like i enjoy that like people who do that like we we like it and then the curating it, to me it's funny you say like it's an act of generosity to the people who we put on but it's also like i'm totally using them of like, course you know what i mean yeah like like and and but you know you know because i feel like i want the show to be good and so i want to look around for stuff that's good and and I don't know. Like, I, I, the, like the way the way I think of it a, a lot is just I, this show is good if those of us making the show are truly excited about the stuff we're putting in, and 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 if we just think like, yeah, that's okay, like then we shouldn't put it in. And so and so to have a j job where like it's my job to just like kind of bounce around and and the you know and and look for what is seems most interesting right now or most compelling or most like upsetting or most exciting or just whatever and then be able to like then be able to like put it out to other people um that's a really like that's a that's so much better of a job than, you, than almost any job it's such a nice it's it's fine so i always feel and have felt that with your show you find a way to connect like 
um, I don't want to say upper class and lower class or like refined versus raw. I feel like a, a collection, it's not just a show that might be for like, I feel like a number of people could listen to your show and it's not set for one group. How do you find that balance or what do you think you can attribute maybe to like either how you were raised or how you live now that makes you open to not just like the really high, highbrow, smart intellectual conversation and the thing that just makes us laugh as human beings. Does that make sense? I, I Yes. I mean, I wish I had like a high-minded response to this, but really I just think that makes for a better show. It's just my taste. It just, I just like it when it's a mix of things and when it's like something thoughtful and then something dumb and funny or something with its pure feeling. And, yeah. and like, honestly, like I feel like the shows could have more variety than they do. Yeah. But but as a staff, like when you put together a group of people, you sort of have a default mode. And our default mode now is to go like sort of hardcore reporting because everybody mm-hmm. on staff is such a good and ambitious reporter. And and honestly, I think the show would be better if we had more like short fiction and more comedy and more like just weird stuff. Um, so so but when it's working well, it does. So do you feel like you're more apt you more want to provide entertainment or provide knowledge or information rather that's a really excellent question and it's something i've thought about a lot thank you and i think that you're welcome (laughs) no but like this is really something i feel very strongly about like like i I feel i feel like there's this there's this idea that i find very corny that on the one hand if you know like you can do something that's like um like uh thoughtful and serious um and on the other hand, do something that's out for fun and an entertainment. And I feel like, yeah, but in the very best stuff, they're completely merged and they're the same thing. Totally. And, and I feel like that's that's what we want it to be. We want it to be both, both like you know, you know, the best investigative reporting that we can do in the most hard hitting way, but also be totally out for fun. And even in the most serious stories that we do, kind of especially in the most serious stories, we really are sure always because as a staff it's our taste that there's like funny moments that there's light moments totally because because without that it's just like it's, it's weird actually the aesthetics of american journalism like generally the way that if you have a serious story and a serious subject everything is supposed to be serious and there's never anything funny nobody is funny uh, like there's nothing light at all and i feel like that's so limiting and it also is sort of violating of like the laws of what journalism I think really should be, which is like journalism should be documenting what really is in the world. And what really is in the world is like, even in the most serious situation, kind of especially like really funny stuff goes down, you know? Yeah. And so, and so, and so like you want to be open as a reporter to like make those moments exist because it makes the story feel so much more real. If there's like funny stuff going on in really serious situations. Like I remember when we did, um, we did a couple of shows on refugee camps in Greece. You know, the refugees would come across from the Mideast and we're trying to get into Europe and they get stopped in Greece and they're living in these camps and they don't want to be there. And it's like, first of all, nobody wants to hear a show like that mm-hmm. to start because like we're all, it's so sad. You know what I mean? Just like it's so sure. sad. And it's not like we have questions. Like we all kind of understand like, yeah, these are perfectly like fine middle-class people, working-class people who like just basically, their bones are bombed. They can't stay there. Yeah. You know, ISIS is on the way, you know, Assad wants to kill them, like get out of the country. And then they, you know, risk their lives and they get up in Greece and Europe doesn't want them. Like it's not complicated. Um, and then just sort of like, how do you make anything that anybody would want to hear? And we brainstormed as a staff of like, what can we put at the beginning of this show that would make anybody listen to the second minute? 
and and a lot of the ideas were like like brainstorming like if there were a love story if there were this thing if there were that thing like be on the lookout for these things and i remember i was in um i was in one of the camps and like just something really really funny happened and i was like oh this is it this is how we open the show because it's really funny yeah and that there'd be space for that yeah you know well i mean even like you remember that movie life is beautiful I never saw that. Is that is, what? I probably should. Yeah, it's good, right? Oh my god, it's amazing. It's, it is. It is. He's in a concentration camp, and he's still finding ways to, and he's hiding his daughter, finding ways to like entertain her and make this world be a beautiful place that she's living in. It's it's unbelievable. Okay. All right. Well, I should see it. But I always find that too. I think like you know everything. There's going to be humor everywhere. It's like you don't think people. In jail, or you don't think people in concentration camps were joking around once in a while? I'm sure they were like some of the funniest I mean, jokes you've Jews. ever heard in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you do you think? Um, it's so for me, storytelling was growing up in Massachusetts. People used to say to me like, "Were you the funniest guy growing up?" And I'm like, "No." Have you ever been to Massachusetts? Every single person there is funnier than I am. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I was raised by a single mom and then my nana and my three great aunts. So it was just old ladies sitting around talking. So I just sat and had to listen to stories all the time. And I think that's hmm. kind of where like I curbed my sense for storytelling because I got used to listening and then finding ways to entertain. But I feel like... In Jewish culture, storytelling and comedy is so rich. Where do you, was that something that was in your house that you were attracted to, or is it just part of like that culture? I mean, my my mom and my sisters were really super funny. Like, we're not super funny. They were they're like civilian level funny. Like, now that I have professionally funny, civilian parents, level like, funny. That's a nice compliment. Yeah, like, no, I'm let very you know. civilian level. No, no, funny no, no, no. Where you're at. <laughs> no, no, no. But you know what I mean. I like, totally like, know I, what I you feel, mean. I feel like I just went a little too far. Like, like you no, know, like no, I get it. My yeah, I have professional comedians. Like Birbiglia, like hang out with Birbiglia and he's yeah. my buddy. Like no, he's definitely more funny than either of my sisters for sure, and they would say it too. Um, but but like you know, we're pretty funny. Like they're really funny and still are. And and uh, I think I know what you mean in that. Like, there's one thing to be funny, and then another thing to take that funniness, that comedy, that wit, and put it in front of people and keep it as original and organic as it was the moment you did it. You know what I mean? Dude, dude, I had an experience with David Jabberbaum, who was at the time the head writer of The Daily Show. Mm -hmm. And it was a, like a story from our radio show that um, that he wanted to adapt into a film. And he's a great writer and he writes musicals. And he's like, you know, he's the head writer of The Daily Show, like a super funny guy. Yeah. And um, and um, and I remember like we, we would be at his apartment, we'd be going through the script and, I, and we would be talking about like, should it be like this or like this or like, you know, how should the plot go that'll work best? And what kinds of scenes do we need to like make this work? And then I would just say an idea for a scene. And honestly, like he would just start riffing like right then I'd be like, oh, this is a level, like I'm a civilian level funny person. Like I can be funny like at dinner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or, or like, or in a documentary story. But like, this was like, if you had asked me to take a premise like that and then suddenly be able to produce a page of dialogue that was super funny and, and had its own logic, like I would just have to kill myself. Like I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> I felt like I was really witnessing, oh, you really, you really have an instinct for something that I absolutely don't know how to do. Like I'm a civilian person. Like you're, you're an actual, you know what I mean? And, 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 and you know, like, yeah, I'm sure that's how like, his brain works. Yeah. 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 No, it's beautiful. I host, I host this show once in a while called toasty in LA and we get a small space and we throw a cocktail party. And then every 10 minutes I pop up in a corner clinking my glass and in character, 
I introduce a person coming to give a toast and each person gives a different kind of toast and oh they're God. all stand up comics and it's the most fun show. But backstage before they go on, I'll be like, all right, so you're toasting your your son, his graduation party. He's like, yeah, I'm like, all right, how about I'll be his uncle and it's at a bar- backyard and I'll set that and we yeah. just riff it right then and there. And there's something so comfortable about being with someone who's professional that you know is going to get what I pitch and I deliver. And they're mm-hmm. like, yep, okay, perfect. I got that. And then we're once we're in it, we're just bouncing off each other back and forth. But there's also something to be said yeah. on your side that you're creating the space for them to excel in. So there's a, there's a partnership there as well. It's not just like they're a genius and you're just some civilian slugging along trying to make people laugh no on the on the structure part that's where that's where that's where that's where i have the talent for yeah. sure like okay. yeah 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 structuring yeah, the story totally 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 when it comes to figuring out like wait what kind of thing do we need to do when do we need to have feelings where are the feelings going to go like i totally yeah no yeah. that's that's actually we interestingly that was the one part of it of like where do you put the feelings that i feel like oh i'm actually contributing to this process because david in his normal work doesn't have to like think through like wait when are we going to care about this character why are we going to care about them like it, you know he's, he's usually um, not having to focus on that as much. Yeah. So like when I just talking to you and Back I. Back then. Since, since then I have to say he's written like a ton of stuff which does that. So, but yeah. Okay. I love that. When I was a kid, you know, like I said, Bill Cosby, Johnny Carson, and then Seinfeld, of course, were all like huge influences. Now, when I look at like what I've done since, I'm like, oh, these were clearly. Inf- was there anyone mm-hmm. that when you were growing up was like you looked at and now you look back and you're like, oh yeah, that was a huge influence on me. Oh my God, so many! Like, like, like the 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 comedy albums that I had that I listened to over and over were were George Carlin and Steve Martin. You know, Steve like I'm Martin. a little older than you. Yeah, like so so, but like Steve Martin, like I just think it's weird to me that people under thirty don't even know that he was like a comedian. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, and uh, and like he was so iconically groundbreaking and and great. And uh, and just like you just felt like I felt I remember feeling like just like I've never seen any anybody. He was so smart and like it was so weird what he was doing and it was so intuitively good. Um, you know what's awesome about him is mm. <clears throat> in his words, he's saying things so that your brain has to pick what is funny to you. But his body mm-hmm. was doing something that was funny to everybody, which it's very rare oh, that people so can do that. You know what I mean? Because when you mentioned those those two dancers you worked with earlier and how their yeah. dance was funny, the first thing I thought of was, was Steve Martin coming out, like bouncing around up and down. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's just yeah. funny to everyone. And then the words, then each person can find what's funny for them, which is my favorite yeah. brand of comedy, not something that's hit over your head. I don't like everything to be a punchline that you have to roar at. I like the little subtleties that get thrown away that's like maybe... 20% of the audience laughs at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then on radio stuff, there was a, there was a, there was a radio, there was a radio series when I was a little kid called chicken man, chicken man, with, chicken man. Yeah. Chicken man. I, I, I can, I can send you the sound when we're done and you can drop it in. And it was like super deadpan and yeah. they would run every day. There were these little two and three minute things. Now they're all online. You can listen to them online. They just put them up online uh, last year, and then the guy who did them, uh, uh, Dick Orkin, who's so uh, wonderful, just died like six months ago. Um, but 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 in the but in the, I can't remember if it's the late sixties, late sixties. Um, it began as like a parody of ba- the Batman TV show, oh. and um, and basically it was a guy who dressed up as a chicken to fight crime, 
and and it has this really deadpan humor to it that when I was a kid just like killed me. And there were these little like three minute modules that would come on like the rock station, like like you know there would be like a, a Beatles song or whatever, and then they would play this. And they were so funny. Oh, that's and, awesome. and when I was started in radio, all of the early stuff that I did in radio when I was like um, in college, uh, before I started working at NPR, um, was trying to imitate Chicken Man, trying to get that sound. Wow. Um, and not succeeding at it at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that's amazing. I love that's the stuff that like I want to show my kids where it's not this like, you know, laugh track comedy. It's something where your brain is going to find. The, like because yeah. deadpan or sarcasm that's what massachusetts was for me growing up was sarcasm you know and it's yeah. a way for you to find the comedy instead of you know just something that's like hit over your head you know yeah yeah it's funny to this conversation it didn't occur to me right everybody i know from massachusetts like yeah there is a real like common funny thing that happens everything my wife my wife used to say because my wife's from detroit and we would meet people and at some point she would say to them you're from detroit and they would say yeah and she says, because Detroit has kind of like a weird subculture darkness to it. There's a really gallows humor to Detroit, like, yeah, in general. And, and like, and, and it's true. Like when she pointed it out, like I would notice it too. And like whenever she would say to people, you're from Detroit. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I can tell. And they like, and they were like, yeah, yeah. Back to her. I did a show in Detroit a month and a half ago and yeah. I ripped on that town to their faces so hard and they laughed out of control and that was exactly what yeah. i think it was they like they're like yep give it to us yep. i mean i think everyone yeah i think everybody likes to be made fun of ultimately because yeah. it's like a way to connect them and they're like yeah we think that about ourselves as long as you're doing it to yourself you notice as well. me it's also like you notice me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see who i am yeah there's, totally. a, there's a weird example of that somebody told me that they saw hamilton in mm -hmm. England, there's a production in London, and apparently the audience goes crazy when the King George character comes out. Like, there's one, you know, basically it's all like Americans, and then there's one British guy, and they basically, the show basically just makes fun of the British guy, and the English audiences, that's like, they go crazy. They yell back at the stage, I was told. Oh. And they love that they're being taken the piss out of. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Who who doesn't yeah. want that? Yeah. Um, I, So... I wanted to give you, get your take on technology. Okay. VR. Glad you've come to me for this, Jay, because you and I. You know what I mean? We're technological geniuses. <laughs> geniuses. No, I want to know, like, do you, how involved you are in technology? Do you think it's affecting us? I, I feel like, especially with storytelling specifically, is something yeah. you have to engage. You have to listen. You, It's not about, it's sometimes it takes a while. Stories aren't you know, two minutes sometimes, sometimes they're longer. And I yeah. feel like, you know, we're, we're starting, everything's starting to be like short form. It has to be VR. It has to be video. You know, you see people on social media posting word comments or like posts, like people don't read posts if there's no video or picture attached. And like, I was just wondering what you thought about technology in general. And if you feel like there's an importance to continue to like keep storytelling and, book reading have you heard of book reading <laughs> you know like if do you uh, think there's any anything to it or do you think will it'll all exist it can all exist together this is not something that i'm a i am not a person who worries about this at all yeah or even thinks about this very much like i, I think in general like th there's one thing that you said that i totally have an opinion on but but the rest of it um 
you know, I, I the, the part that I have an opinion on is this idea of like our attention spans are getting shorter and everything has to be shorter and shorter. Yeah. And I just feel like if you look at that's transparently untrue. Like like if you give people something interesting that's that's longer, if it's good, people will stick with it. Like the biggest thing in our culture are these binge-worthy television shows that take like 70 hours to watch. Good point. Do you know what I mean? And like, and like, and so, and so clearly that's untrue. And, and, and like, you know, in, in the world that I'm in, 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 you know, in, uh, in podcasting and radio, you know, like, like the thing, the thing that, you know, that, that we found with Serial and with S-Town mm -hmm. is that like, yeah, people will stick around. People will listen for a really long time as long as you're, you know, bringing them into the story in a way that's engaging and, and giving them something along the way that, that feels like interesting to listen to. Yeah. And, um, and intriguing and, and like raising questions that they want answered. And, 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 uh, and so, and so that idea of like, oh, people's attention spans are short. They are not short. It's just the opposite, actually. Or it's not the opposite. It's like it's not. They it's just, just need to be fed. Lot, it's a lot of different things at once. And then, and then I don't know, like, like, you know, frankly, like, it doesn't matter to me if like radio continues or like I, I don't know, like, or, or or like long form. I don't know. I feel like everything exists for our entertainment and amusement. Yeah. And if it's like if it's not serving us, then we'll figure out some other way to communicate with each other and to get the information we need and to be amused. Like I don't, I don't have any reverence for any particular form i like that that's a good yeah. perspective yeah maybe if i were more of a reader i would feel differently and feel nah, i mean I, no i don't i don't know i just always wonder like i have kids so i always look at my kids and I'm like oh man what are they gonna do or like what are they gonna have attention towards and what is, is no there... i would be so much more aware of it if i had kids yeah no it seems a little freaky yeah. like oh. are, are they old enough that they have phones yet Hell no. No, they're four and three. They don't, they don't even, they've never yeah. even watched an iPad. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but that's just because something, oh, dude, you know, I don't envy this at all. So you have to have a whole plan and a theory. Oh, yeah. They're going to be the kids who are going to be unplugged and. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. You have know. to decide like, you know, who knows? Are they going to be shamed for not knowing how to turn on an iPad? It's all right. Um, where do you live exactly? Are you living in Manhattan? Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite restaurant? Or where do you like to go? Do you have a local spot? I can say my favorite restaurant. I don't feel protective. Uh, I have I have a couple, like like most people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's weird. It's like a city with like so many restaurants, but basically I have three places I go to all the time. Okay. Uh, and uh, And one of them was just named the best restaurant in New York by the New Yorker magazine, which is so awful for me personally because... Um, they don't take reservations, and so you just have to wait. Yeah. And so now, like, basically, but um, it's called a Via Corota. Okay. And then the women who own it, who are just, and it's a, basically just like a really wonderful Italian restaurant. And then across the street, they have another place called Bouvet. That's a bar. That's just like this wonderful place. And uh, and then uh, and then there's a bunch of Momofuku restaurants. Yeah. Uh, run uh, and and every single one of them is like so good. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then, but usually what I'm eating is like <laughs> going to the, like the deli at the corner and do like grabbing lunch and coming back up or the one around the corner, which has a better salad bar, but it's a little further. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, you know. No, yeah. I love that. You're making choices on salad bar. Yeah. My spot's Little Frankie's. You ever been to Little Frankie's on the Lower East Side? Wait. He also has say supper. Another word about, say another word about it because I think I have. Spaghetti Limon is my favorite dish. He's got, it's like a little tiny neighborhood spot. 
Little Frankie's. He also has Supper and he has Frank's. He's got three restaurants and Sauce. I'm not sure if Sauce is still there, but they're all within like a mile of each other on the Lower East Side. And every time I'm in New York, I'm like, I got to go there. Otherwise, I venture out to Brooklyn and go to um, it's that spot in uh, it's in Dumbo. Um, it's not in Dumbo. It's a little part of Dumbo. And I can't remember now. It's I'm, I'm blanking on the the spot. I haven't been in so long. I used to live in Brooklyn in Fort Greene and in Park Slope, mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it over there in Fort Greene. It was my favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's such a different uh, energy over there in New York. From from L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so many more people are like you. You have an interaction in New York. You're connected to everyone around you. I feel like in a way. Yeah, I like that. And I like that everybody's like walking down the street with that fucked up look on their face. I remember like when I was a kid, I grew up in Baltimore coming to New York and just like, and like, and and even as a child, I was like, oh, these are my people. Like, this is like, like I, I felt, I, and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I really, I really like that. You got to move at a pace in New York. I remember when I moved there, like I was trying to like just walk down the street and I was getting like shouldered, pushed, bumped. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I was like, what's with these people? And it took me two months to like adjust to the speed of that town. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the way no, it, people, if, if you stop on the sidewalk, people will get actively mad at you. Like you are actually blocking traffic. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's a, it's, but that said, I feel like it, it's a, but I also feel like, like you've lived here. So you know this, that like it's kind of a cliche that New Yorkers are mean or anything like that. Like if anything, like, like, because everybody's kind of out out there like people like if you fall five people stop and, and help you up you know what i mean like like if totally. you need directions people you know it's just like it's much more much more social yeah no i love that yeah. aspect and i feel like uh you know that's something that i miss a little bit from being here than as and yeah. as when i was there um i did want to talk to you a little bit about sleepwalk with me because mm. um, I opened for Mike in D.C. in like 2004 or five, and that's when we met. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved up to New York, I went to Sleepwalk and like hung out with Mike after with my wife. And it was like su- such a such an amazing story. How do you even like? I mean, obviously you had Berbigli on a long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. doing stories. Yeah. What what was it that like you saw? Like what is it that you look for in a story to decide that that's something that's I mean, is it just pure entertainment, or are there factors? No, there totally are factors, and and what we're looking for is is a is a really traditional story arc, and so and so I, like I had never heard of Mike, and then somebody sent me a copy of the very earliest version of the Sleepwalk story where he talks about jumping through a window. Yeah, crazy, um, crazy story, and he told the story at the Moth, and then he was intending to turn it into a one man show mm-hmm. that he eventually did, and then turned it into a movie, um, and. Uh, and and what that story had was it had like um like in the most traditional way like he's different at the end than he is at the beginning like he, he like he he he's changed by the things that happen and a person doesn't have to be deeply changed they just have to kind of learn something or yeah. feeling that just have an uh, have a thought like if at the end of the experience you have a thought you didn't have before that's enough and then and then and then so that's the main thing and then it has to be surprising you know like like that's it. You know, the plot has to be surprising. Well, that and that nothing's more surprising than all the different twists in that in that one man show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so that's what we're looking for. And and honestly, like I'm uh, with with comedians, I know like often 
there'll be a bit that I see them do on stage and I'll be like, can it be a thing? And then we try to like figure out like how to make it more narrative. And sometimes it just fucking kills it. It fucks it up. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, of course, like it, was, yeah. it was better as a series of jokes. Yeah, there've been a bunch of stuff. Where, like <clears throat> there've been many times that we've worked with comedians to develop stuff for the show because we'll hear like a little thing and we know this thing happened to them and it's just like, it's delicate to do, yeah. for sure. Well, I mean, I find that all the, there's like a joke, a, a running joke everybody knows that I do, that like if I'm in a scenario with you and someone else and we're talking about someone and we're not talking like well about them, I'll like, we'll sit there and I'll be like, yeah, no, I hear you, man. I'll hear you. And like, say we're talking about this guy, Dave. And I'm like, no, I totally get it. And then I'll pull up my phone. I'm like, oh, excuse me. I'm like, oh, what's up, Dave? And then like everyone loses it. <laughs> or I walk by people saying negative things about them into my phone. And I've tried to do it on stage and it's just, a, it doesn't work. It like has to take place over there. <laughs> so I get that there's stuff from stage that doesn't work somewhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, there have been times when people see I've had things where they'll see it on stage and then I try to put it into a script and it just didn't work. And I'm like, well, don't you see how funny, you know what I mean? And there's just, yeah. I mean, is that like a, just something another that weird. Is there another, there's another weird version of that. When we discovered, when we turned sleepwalk from the stage show into the movie, uh, is that <clears throat> when we first, in the first cut of the movie, there was no narration. Cause, cause Mike, felt and I felt too like well we should be good storytellers and like it's hacky to have narration in your movie like we should make the story unfold and then and then it was interesting the jokes that he had performed hundreds of times on stage that killed when he was him performing on stage were just dying yeah um in the film and we're like oh wait and we realized like oh the narrative frame is different if it's a guy standing up there like, like if you think about the, the real story of what happens in the story of Sleepwalk With Me, when it begins, he's a guy who wants to be a comedian, but he's not funny and he's not any good. And he's involved with this really wonderful woman who wants to marry him, but he doesn't want to get married, but he's too chicken to tell her. Everything about that character is reprehensible. And, um, and so at the beginning of the film, you just don't like him. And so none of the jokes work because you kind of like hate his guts. Yeah. Whereas, whereas telling the exact same sequence of actions on stage to an audience like as as himself Birbiglia what he's saying is I was a jackass like yes. I used to be an idiot you know what I mean like he's saying like I'm like his most famous line like I'm in the future too like I know that that was bad yeah. everything that like you're seeing that was like I was a dumbass and I was not nice and that was not the way to be like I see it too and so he's like on our side against that younger version of himself and and we had to figure out how to reverse engineer it into the film like like after we filmed the whole film like Basically, he and the cinematographer just went out in his car and wow. he filmed him doing narration. That's so cool. We did that. I did a movie this also summer. Also a nightmare. In Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it, it was. <laughs> uh, uh, we shot uh, in Baltimore. You know Michael Kelly's uh, plays Stampered on House of Cards? Do you watch House of Cards? I, I have seen House of Cards, but not in a couple of years. Okay, so. well, he plays like... The you know the number the bad guy Stamper he's like an evil kind of guy. Oh, I totally. Oh, that, that guy's a really good actor. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, we shot this movie in Baltimore. Used the whole House of Cards crew. We loved it. It was awesome. And then everybody watched it, and they were like, "It's missing something." And it was narration, and they went in and VO'd like he VO'd the whole movie. Wow. You know, like to have a narrative voice, and it changed the whole movie and made it something, which is a really for them to see that and for you to see it with Mike and for you to see it with all your stories is like, especially, I guess, over a year, 30 years, how, how many years you've been narrating or curating stories? 
Long time. Long time. I was 19 and it's 40 years ago when I started. Okay. So 40 years. But I wasn't years. good for the first 15 years. So yeah, like well. last. Okay. Okay. But yeah. So 25 yeah. years of unbelievable storytelling. You start, you've seen so many different examples. That's like where you're able to curate, as we've said a number of times now, to make a story yeah. like, oh, this is what it needs. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of my day is spent in edits, actually. Like, like all of today was spent, like, almost until this interview. From the from, uh, I, I came in, in the early and did mix notes for the mixes for this week's show, like saying, like, oh, let's do this music instead of this and move this over four tenths of a second and stuff like that. But then at eleven o'clock, I went into edits where I've been until now. Wow. Uh, 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 five hours later. And, um, and and what it is is we're playing through the stories and making changes and changing the framing and changing the voice of it and just like and just and just like every, both the overall structure and then every little detail like like yeah I've, I've put it I put in it's most of what I do all week. Yeah, I've always said editors of like movies and TV should have a director yeah. credit because the movie you shoot and the movie you edit or TV show or radio show are completely different than what was on the page. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and when but you work don't. with a great. When when we've worked on the movies, like we've been really lucky and had like incredibly wonderful editors. Uh, this one guy in particular, Jeff Richman, and like he's a crazy genius. Like he'll move, he'll just like move stuff around and eliminate beats and create beats that you didn't even know could be in the film. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something to be said about you know that skill set that gets very underappreciated. I think. I agree. I agree. It's weird. Like it's funny. I've talked to the journalism students about this. How how how. So many people, when they want to go into journalism, they want to be writers, but nobody ever says like, "I want to be an editor." Like, <laughs> yeah. Totally, because like I don't know, it just doesn't seem we haven't we haven't we haven't made enough like movies about them or something, you know? Like, I know. Yeah. Or giving them but enough Tom shine. Hanks, yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks, what? Tom Hanks, you know, like he never he he would never play like the editor. You know what I mean? He would be the reporter or the publisher. You know? Yeah. Well, there's also like, nothing there's no, exciting. They're just sitting in a like a windowless room, sitting oh, there, right? Right. Yeah. There's no visuals. Yeah. 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 Um, well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you taking the time out to sit down with me and, uh, I appreciate yeah, your time. Fun. Man. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's have a, like a, a drink, like social people. <laughs> Done. This is the, you and I have never had a conversation this long. This is the longest conversation we've ever had. And it's been and, amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and so let's have an actual conversation in person, uh, when you're in town, we'll go to your restaurant and then we'll go to mine. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, okay. Ira. Okay. Nice. Nice to nice to meet you via Skype. You too, buddy. Okay. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. Mm. <clears throat>